Welcome to PodCash, the portable professional development podcast from Cash Alumni. Cash Alumni is the fastest growing association of professionals in care, health and education. And we're happy to have you here. This is where you'll hear from specialists and experts from across our network. Here's what's coming up. The students are being taught current up-to-date techniques and practice. And I think it's also allowed staff to really reflect on their practice. You know, I think developing someone else gives you an opportunity to think about how you would do something. Let's jump in to this week's episode. Hello, I'm Julia Rose. I'm an early education editor for Family, who are an early childhood platform. However... This week, I have been generously asked to host PodCash, which is a podcast usually hosted by Cash and CFE. And I'm here to find out all about T-Levels on behalf of the earlier settings who hopefully will be working with and employing these lovely new T-Level students. Obviously, I can't do that by myself. So I am here with a host of experts, including Janet King, Stacey Mann, Angie Rogers and Ben Bowser, who I will now ask to introduce themselves. Janet, if you could start off. Thanks, Julia. It's really great to be part of the podcast. So my name's Janet King. I'm the Sector Manager for Education and Childcare at NCFE um, and very much involved with the T-levels in education and childcare. I'll pass over to Stacey. Hi, everyone. I'm Stacey Mann. And I'm the Early Years and Childcare Subject Specialist here at NCFE, working alongside Janet and Angie. And I have supported quite a lot on the T-levels and was previously a nursery manager. So working alongside students was uh, one of the main roles within that. My name's Angie Rogers and I'm also the Subject Specialist for Teaching and Learning, although my pathway also crosses over to Early Years. I too have been involved with T-Levels for uh, a very long time, seems like a very long time, and I'm happy to join you all today. Hi everyone, my name's Ben Bowser. I'm one of the directors of Always Growing and we've got three nurseries in the southeast of England. I'm also sit on the Technical Educational Advisory Board for T-Levels in both education and childcare and supporting teaching and learning. And we also use family across all of our settings as well. Thanks everybody. So essentially my role is to find out everything that settings, managers, anyone in the early years needs to know about T-Levels, which hopefully you'll all be able to help me out with. We've heard of A-levels and then more commonly in the early years, MVQs. So T-levels, I guess to start with, who are T-levels for? Good question, Julia. So T-levels really are in that sort of territory where the 16 to 18 year olds are going to be looking at what do I do next so they finish their GCSEs they're thinking perhaps of you know those next steps to take and what the government vision is there is that those choices will be quite streamlined so they'll be looking at general education do I do do I go straight on and do my A-levels do I take an apprenticeship or do I do a T-level? And that's sort of where we're sort of heading with those 16 to 18 year olds so that the the choices are just as wide, but they're wrapped up in three distinct routes. And if you think about, you know, what's gone on before, you mentioned NVQs, we've got lots of diplomas, lots of uh, qualifications that live in that space, especially when we focus on sort of early years and assisting teaching, mentoring, education and childcare as, as a sector as a whole. 
So what's important to note is this qualification isn't something that's bigger, better, etc. What it is, is an evolution, if you like, in bringing together what the sector needs. So it's thinking about what employers need. And if you think beyond what employers need, let's think about the standard. Let's think about the apprenticeship. Let's think about those sorts of qualifications and standards that have been brought together with the collaboration of employers. Those are the people who really know what skills and knowledge that individual needs to be able to do the job and to do the job well. So it made absolute sense when thinking about the the T-level and those next steps in education to build a qualification that's as accurate and up-to-date as it can be. It's got to be something that aligns with those employer-based standards. So the apprenticeship standard became a really good sort of foundation and platform um, and working um, in terms of making sure it was as accurate and up-to-date as it could be. So what does it actually entail? So if I was if I was a student and I was coming on to the T-level and looking for placement, for example, the first thing I'd do would, would be to think about a core year. So I'd be studying um, about babies, children, young people, right from birth, right through to 19. And I do that through a two-year programme. And my first year is very much about that sort of broad brush, if you like, that's looking at, well, in fact, it's based around 12 elements. And those 12 elements all represent an aspect, an area, an element of education and childcare from from birth right through to 19. So it's very broad. And there'll be things on there that you would typically expect in an early years qualification and um, a qualification that looks at teaching and learning beyond the early years. So we're looking at things like legislation, the wider context, who works in the sector, what do they do, what are the functions, what are the benefits. It looks at reflection, it looks at behaviour and the need to actually be attuned to individual children and young people so that child development and everything that goes along with that is actually attuned to that individual and is very personalised and child and young person centred. So all of that is wrapped up around, there are many more, there are 12, but those 12 elements are things that if we were sitting down as early years professionals or educationalists now thinking about that birth to 19, the subject areas that are in those elements are things that we'd all come up with. And then what what needs to happen is that the student completes that core year and at the end of that rather than typically being assessed all the way through those separate elements it's summative assessment at the end so the students will do a core exam that's got two papers so they'll do a paper a they'll do a paper b and that's looking across the learning from those 12 elements and then they will also do an employer set project, which is an employer validated project, which is where the wonderful um, TEAB um, members support through that validation process. And that collaboration with employers such as Ben is absolutely invaluable. It's so critical and significant to making sure that are what the student's learning and the way that we're actually applying that learning, is that connected in some way to what's going on in the workplace? Is it relevant? Is it up to date? Are we making sure that we're heading towards what you need for the sector, whether that's in the early years or whether that's working in schools and beyond? So that happens. And then in the, um, in the second year, students are doing a more structured approach to their placement. 
But for early year students, they need to do 750 placement hours. And I know um, that, that Angie and Stacey will talk about this in a lot more detail. So it's important to be able to actually start your placement very early on um, if you're going to be following that early years occupational specialism. Assisting teaching specialism goes up to 45 days or 315. So you've got a little bit more flexibility. But most students and technical vocational students typically and traditionally really embrace that blossoming period of going into that placement right from the very beginning. And in that occupational specialism, as well as those placements becoming of fundamental importance in, so, in terms of structured grading uh, through three structured observations, they will also look at key features. So observation and assessment. And they will also look at identification and recognition of, of children's needs and young people's needs if you're looking at assisting teaching or mentoring, for example. And they will also then look at planning as well and the importance of differentiation, the importance of meeting individual needs. So this is a qualification of worth. This is a qualification that's broad. This is a qualification that embraces the skills that are needed to do the job and do the job well with confidence and competence. It's a level three qualification. So the other qualifications that are out there, the, the depth is the same, but the breadth, I think it's probably fair to say, is wider. And that is because the students are learning about that sort of from birth to 19 in that core year. So that gives you a little bit of flavour of, of the structure. I'll hand over to Stacey because Stacey can take that down now um, and sort of investigate things a little bit further. Thanks, Janet. So I think one of the main concerns from employers at the moment is recruitment and retention. That is something that we're hearing quite a lot about. Um, and when a student comes to you or a already qualified person comes to you with their, their qualification, we want to know that it's full and relevant and the T levels are full and relevant. If they have taken the EYE pathway. So as Janet said, with those three pathways of early years educator, assistant teaching and mentoring, we have got that early years educator pathway as being full and relevant. As with all qualifications that will come through to employers, we would always advise to go and have a look on the qualification finder on the government website. The T-level is there. It says T-level in education and childcare really clearly. Um, it doesn't, however, say early years educator on there at the moment. Um, but that, those are the magic words that we're looking for really in any of the qualifications that are coming through to us post 2014. The one thing that we do need to make sure that everybody's aware of is that with all of the qualifications post 2014, they, they will have to have a level two or equivalent in English and maths. And that's because of the EYFS requirements um, and to be counted in ratio. That's exactly what you will need. And that's something that the employer would be checking out anyway. And I think a lot of employers are very conscious about that now. And uh, it's, it's really a reassurance from us that that T-level in education and childcare is full and relevant. And then, of course, there's so many other things you can do um, to progress after the T-level in education and childcare. It might be that you wanted to go on to a level four qualification in, in uh, special educational needs and disabilities, for example. 
Or you might want to just continue your professional development as we all do in early years. I think everybody that works in early years um, and in education constantly are looking to, at how they can improve and how they reflect on their practice. And so we have um, developed a CPD carousel that is there really for all people that work in early years to be able to go on and, and improve their practice and to, to learn about new things. Um, so that is that's also a progression. Um, the other thing is that it does hold you cast points. And so if after the T-level that particular student wanted to go into higher education, then the UCAS points are available and they would be dependent on grades, um, but they can equate to the full 168. So a really lovely qualification. I love it. Um, and Angie, I believe he's going to take us through what, what placement might look like and how that might feel for employers. Thanks, Stacey. That was really informative. And thank you, Janet. Um, so I should probably come back to some of those points that, that both of you said. But I think at this point, I think that, Ben, I'm going to draw you into uh, a little bit of a conversation in terms of um, students on placement. So we might think about a question that you might be asking. How do you go about finding a student? for the placement Um, and often the provider or the school or the college will have students on a particular course who are required to complete a work placement the placement officer who would be responsible for contacting various settings within the sector and that can vary depending on the the needs of the of the actual student themselves but that could go from very various early years settings to even nursery schools or even being part of a school so that that setting will vary and often there is a bank of, of vetted placements already that, that that provider has or that they use and they can carry out a search on, on the government guide. So that, that's quite easy to do, to find a local school or, or a college that where you can access uh, those various students or through the local authority on the nursery and schools directory. If you're looking at a particular area, um, that may be useful. So there's various ways of finding a student that that may be relevant to your particular setting. So Ben, I don't know if you've got anything that you want to add to that. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things that we find really impressive is when a student is really proactive and reaches out to us and and has a look at our website and you know says, "Oh, I like I like the feel of and what you offer. I've got this placement to do." And I think from an employer point of view, we're very passionate about trying to support the next generation of people coming into the sector and I think that's one of the things that I particularly like about the T-level course it's we need as many routes into the sector as possible and I think some students might the apprenticeship route might appeal to them in terms of they might prefer a hands-on learning on the job from the beginning whereas for lots of students maybe at 16 they're not quite ready to leave school yet and they like the structure and the routine that that brings and actually this provides a brilliant hybrid between the two and in terms of having students on placement I think it's such a great opportunity for us as employers to think about how we mentor and nurture um, you know talent and what support we're giving to staff Um, and for students as well it gives a real opportunity to go out there and have you know have a go Um, be involved you know get stuck in it so you know kind of get your hands dirty and 
and and build up that experience on the job that uh, you can really sort of take forward on your early years journey as it were i think that's absolutely key and i think you know there are so like exactly as you just said there are many ways in which to find those appropriate settings and often the settings will call out to the providers as well to to find those suitable students and that sort of leads me on really um to you know, a concern may be is about the health and safety checks that, that may go on and the risk assessments, because that can often be a worry that's that's there for the settings themselves. So it's important to consider the fact that the providers will often have those checks in place. And it's important to also note that the provider, like the college and the school, would all would have to pay for the learners for their DBS checks. So that that's something else to, to think about in that. Um, and another... Um, aspect would be to think about well what does the placement look like I know that that some of you may be thinking well what does that mean for me how is that going to sort of impact us within the setting and and the training providers themselves may decide to um, create a bespoke um, placement time so it may not be like one day a week it may be three two days a week but sometimes the providers may decide to do block placements and that works quite well so you might have certain blocks over the year um, I know in the in the setting that I worked in well, there was uh, one week in and one week out. Now, that works quite well in terms of continuity. And students actually, I feel, really benefit from that, from seeing a whole stretch of what a week looks like and building up relationships with children during that time. I think that really helps um, rather than just being there one day a week or two days a week. Um, as long as, like Janet said, they cover the expected hours required and the, the 45 days that, that they need to do, I think it's really important that, that that's incorporated w- within those sort of blocks or with those days. This is Podcash, brought to you by Cash Alumni. For discounts on everything from Apple products to MOTs, visit the cashback page of cashalumni.org.uk. That's cashalumni.org.uk. Ben, I'm not quite sure how you provide the types of um, placement that you do at yours, your settings. Yeah, I mean, we are open to working with the students, their settings and what works best for them. I think I would agree that your model of week in week out is is something that we encourage students to be with us for um, a period of time I think sometimes a student can get a little bit lost they're they're in one day a week and then it's you know there's such a long time before they come back again and the children kind of like oh who's that person whereas I think when we really thought about how we can offer placements to students we wanted them to get the best experience of what it was going to be like and so we treat them very much as employees from the beginning of their placement with us we ask them to come in for an interview we do an induction process with them and I think that allows us to firstly set the expectations for what it's going to be like um you know from from within our organization but I think that's such a valuable experience for students to have and although I think one of the factors that maybe might put settings off is to think, oh, that's going to create a lot of extra work for us. Actually, it doesn't. It saves us time because we have a student that knows from the beginning what we're going to be expecting of them. They're going to know what opportunities that they've got available to us. It helps everything kind of flow together, really. We get a lot out of having students on placement. I think students really benefit from um, what it's like. They get a real flavor for what working in the early years is going to be like and, you know, understanding, you know, how the day is structured and I think it's really good for students to get 
into the habit of, you know, we expect our students to do shifts between 8 and 6 p.m., which is our opening hours, because I think that's what the reality is going to be like, you know, and it's good for them not to just think, oh, well, I typically go to school between 9 and 3. So, you know, we want, uh, as I say, students to feel like they're part of our team. That's exactly what I was about to say. For the students, I think being having that sense of belonging within the setting. And I love the fact that you do go down that whole process of making them feel like that and interviewing them and making them feel really part of the team, not just a student, but they are part of that team. That's a really key point, really. And and knowing that they've got people, that certain people that they can turn to as a mentor within that setting to offer the right type of support and guidance. Would you say that that's what you do as well? Oh, absolutely. And I think... If you spoke to some of um, my more experienced um, teachers, they would tell you very much that they've benefited themselves from, you know, having students come in with, you know, different ideas. You know, the students are being taught current up to date techniques and practice. And I think some of our staff who've maybe been working within the industry for an extended period of time, it's been really helpful to have that sort of mutually beneficial idea. And I think it's also allowed staff to really reflect on their practice. You know, I think developing someone else gives you an opportunity to think about how you would do something. And there's that sort of learning opportunity. And um, we have the opportunity for students to, again, you know, they they can learn from the staff in terms of modeling good practice um, and sort of, you know, a lot of it's around those professional conversations which I think is something that we're all learning to do I think the more experienced that you are within the sector the you know the more you understand the value of having that that sort of reflect reflective dialogue and I think those are the real opportunities that having students has 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 really given and I'd encourage any team to consider having students with them as I say we run three settings so you know we're a growing organization you know literally always growing but um, even if you're you're a smaller setting where you've only got you know, a few members of staff, you, you're, you're a, sm- a smaller organisation, it, it really isn't actually creating you much extra work. If you think about touching on what you said earlier about the risk assessments and things like that, well, settings do risk assessments anyway, because your environment needs to be safe for the children. And yes, there might be a slightly different format that the individual settings are using in terms of the providers of the T-levels, but it's not going to be information that you don't know about. And, you know, similarly, you've got no obligation to the student. If the student comes in and, and, it, and it really doesn't work out, then, you know, you learn from that experience, you kind of move on. But equally, we've actually employed students after they've done a placement with us, you know, and it's that opportunity to actually Firstly, engage with new talent before they go into the jobs market. But also, it's like doing a really long extended interview. You know, I think, Stacey, you were talking about the issues around recruitment and retention. And I think interviews are so hard, aren't they? You, you've got a practitioner that comes in and you chat to them and you think, oh, well, that all looks great. But, you know, this is an opportunity to really get to know how well that person could fit into your team. Um, and so, yeah, I think that whole package is 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 something that's so vital and I just think the emphasis of that particular part of the qualification I think makes the T-level stand out from some of the other qualifications that are out there that maybe don't have the same kind of emphasis on it and it's almost like the placement is a bit of oh it's a bit of a chore I've got to go and do a placement whereas because the placement is so well integrated into the qualification it's a huge thing absolutely I agree and I'm sure like Janet I think you would say the same going back to assessment how that is a a completely two-way process definitely because especially in that second year 
So, you know, just recapping on that, that all students will do that core. They'll all study from birth to the age of 19 across those 12 elements, and then they'll specialise. So they'll take that deeper dive and they will either go into the early years educator occupational specialism. And as Stacey said, that's the one that employers are looking for, that early years educator um, criteria status on that full and relevant list. And also they're, they're given the opportunity students to diversify. So if they're not particularly wanting to do that deeper dive with the early years, they can do a deeper dive with assisting teaching. So sort of looking at that role of the teaching assistant. And there's also a pathway, an occupational specialism that looks at mentoring. So the, the students will be doing that full breath and then they'll be do, doing a deeper dive. And if they're coming to early year settings, then they are likely to be those early years educator students. And they have got to do 750 hours in all of the T levels. It's 45 days, as Angie said, and those 45 days, which is equating to around 315 additional hours for the early years educator criteria. Um, but the assessment in education and childcare and indeed across all T levels, Ben, you use the word hybrid and I think it's a it's a perfect uh, explanation for what's going on here in terms of we're demanding theoretical conceptual knowledge and we're demanding application of that in context. A hybrid, it's not easy, but then the job is a responsible, accountable one and you need to be well prepared for that. So it's preparing students to be able to enter that world of work by studying in, in the most sort of appropriate and accurate way aligned to the apprenticeship standard. So it's as up to date, it's as employer ready as, as it can possibly be. And then the, the role of the industry placement um, is actually about nurturing that and looking for those uh, opportunities. And as an employer, Ben, you're absolutely right. You you know you're looking, you're seeing, you're observing, you're you're looking at how those skills, and you're having an impact on the future um, of of the of the babies, the children, the families, the young people, um, that that are actually um, coming to do those qualifications with you. If you're asked about a T level student, you know. Um, as Ben said, it's not going to be something that's going to be too much hard work and it's actually going to benefit everybody in the long term. So I hope you look favourably at T-level students, whether they're students or whether they're coming to you uh, for employment. They've gone through it uh, in terms of a new qualification and they're ready for work. I think just picking up on what you said there, Janet, you know, there's that sort of running joke out there on the internet somewhere where, you know, you people want to employ somebody with you know, who's 21 with 30 years experience. And the point of it is, is that not from an employer perspective, we want staff that have got actual hands-on experience and we want staff who are qualified. And this, again, is where I think the T-level is 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 quite unique in a sense that um, with students coming to the end of their qualification, entering the workplace, the full and ready bit is, is, is so vital because that's kind of what, what we're crying out for really across the sector, but also full and ready with more experienced than potential employees who've gone through a different pathway, uh, I, I think is vital. It, it means that they really can hit the ground running. And again, thinking about some of the smaller settings that I touched on earlier, where I think there's a, um, you, you know, a real need for them to have staff, who, you know, they've got a small team, they're running on tight margins, they can't, they don't necessarily have the capacity for to bring staff in, and then they've got to engage in further training, you know, obviously, 
as you know as a general rule we want everybody to be engaging with um some some form of cpd but this is an opportunity for smaller settings to say okay well i can you know take on someone who's maybe young and energetic and and has got that different perspective you know again increasing the diversity of the team in a way that means that you know they've they're qualified and they're ready to go you know at the start of that journey for the first few years you know while they're finding their feet they've got that qualification behind them they're ready to go which i which i think is is great and i think now might be a good time also to mention i think i also talked about the board that i sit on and for me this is such a unique opportunity so one of the things that i was doing fairly recently was looking at some of the exam papers that you know provisionally uh, sort of drafted and it's great that there's that reach out to people who are in the industry who are um, on the ground as it were who who've who've got that ability to say you know yes this is really this is a realistic task for students to be doing this is what we would expect um, students at level three to be able to do. And I think that validation is such a, a key part of, of the qualification as well. You're getting someone qualified to you who has had the assessment process kind of ratified, if you like, by people who who know what they're looking for, who know what they need staff to be able to do. And I love that perspective of everybody learning together because when you have new students coming in, you know, often there is that perception of, oh, you know, I'm going to have to help Janet now. Here she comes, you know, she's she, she's going to need a lot of help and support. Well, she might, but at the same time, she's looking at a new specification. She's looking at a new qualification and nurturing somebody through that can really, really help, I think, to with that reflection. So I, I love that. I love that approach and that mindset. I don't think I've really thought about that in, in those way in that way before, Ben. And I think it's I think it's actually really quite powerful in terms of CPD and ambition and collaboration and bringing the student and and the um, and the employer together in in quite a tight way i love that i might oh, please that. feel free to i think early years is a kind of unique sector in that your biggest asset is your staff you know you're only ever as good as um the staff that that, that you've got in front of you and i think you know from our point of view you know our staff are our most important um, resource they're our most expensive resource as well and you want everybody to be on that journey and learning together so yeah feel free to to quote me on that one. Ben, you've put it beautifully why an employer would want to be part of this journey with a with a T-level student. But to get down to the kind of nitty gritty of actually having a student, if, for example, like the example you've given, you're a smaller setting who hasn't had a student before, what might be some of the expectations around that as a setting? And is there a framework or support available if you say, yep, we're going to have a student. I think that's such an important question because it's one thing to think, oh, it would be lovely to have a student here. It's a second thing to actually go down that process and do that. And I'd really encourage any settings that are thinking about this to, you know, reach out either, you know, reach out to the NCFE, like reach out to me if you want. Um, and, you know, contact settings, have have those conversations around it. But I think speaking to other settings that have been through you know, the sort of process of having students and kind of learning with them can be a really sort of valuable thing. And I would, you know, encourage any any setting, you know, regardless of kind of what, what you've got going on, you know, it's more than just having an extra pair of hands. You don't have to get it right first time. And I think the way that we deal with 
students now we give them a much better experience and we get a lot more out of having them compared to where we started but i would encourage you know have a conversation with, with your team and say how would you feel about bringing in um, a student you know i think are there people within your team who are kind of particularly good at modeling good practice um you know and i think offering students that opportunity is actually a lot easier than you think you're going to be bringing people into the setting who have got you know all being well they've got a desire to work with children you know they've they've kind of chosen that pathway it's not like you've got somebody sort of randomly wanting to sort of volunteer you know you're hopefully going to have someone who's going to be really motivated and and you know has a bit of a natural kind of um you know affinity for it and i think think of it as a kind of low sort of pressure thing you know i think don't let it get you sort of stressed that often the student could be really can be really helpful you know and it might be that you never really know with your you know staff you know what if someone in a couple of months decides to move on you know if you've taken a student on maybe that person could be your next um your next staff member you know i think just be open-minded to it and really don't be put off by there's not really a lot of paperwork there's not a lot of you know observations and things that go with it it's about having a student on board with you giving them some useful you know feedback and um yeah i'd say just just go for it and also on that point let's not forget that it's funded so there's no cost implications um so no exchange of money so that's i know that's that's another plus right yeah absolutely and i think angie you're absolutely right there for settings you know that are operating on really really tight margins yeah you've hit the nail on the head there there isn't that it's not really going to cost you much you know then yes there might be a little bit of time or um you know we we sort of try to give students a, a kind of mentor even if it's a bit informal and you know they obviously are going to need a little bit of time to have those conversations and those feedback opportunities but it's definitely workable Janet, something you spoke about earlier on in regards to the assessment of the T-level was an employer project. Are you able to give a little bit more information about what that might look like, how it comes together? Um, I think that'd be really useful just for for settings who are thinking, oh, crumbs, am I going to have to start developing all these things? What, What does it look like, really? So in reality, what that actually is, is an employer validated um, project, but it's known and referred to in the qualification, in the, in the um, T-level as an employer set project. So NCFE in this instance are going to be writing scenarios and uh, for the employer set project and they'll write scenarios based on each of those kind of deeper dives. So there'll be a scenario um, that's based on the early years one that's based on teaching and learning within the school environment and one that's based on mentoring. And students will obviously be entered into the one that is going to be their occupational specialism. Those scenarios, before they are put in front of the students, are validated by the Technical Education Advisory Board. So people like Ben, people like Ben who know exactly, actually, I'm looking at this scenario it's not going to happen. You know, that's not realistic. Those, those, the, that feedback will come back to NCFE and it will be amended and it will be checked. Or, yep, 
that is absolutely spot on. I can see that happening. You know, you've really brought the early years to life in that scenario or the school environment. I can really picture that young person there, you know, um, and only when they're validated will they become live papers. So the student then um, will be applying their knowledge. So the employer set project is, is something that actually takes place by the student at the end of their first year, typically. So at the end of that core. So they've done their 12 elements, early year students and possibly students on other occupational specialisms such as assisting teaching will have been out into placement. And if they've been out into placement, I think it's probably always an advantage when you're trying to link theory to to practice. But um, the the actual employer set project is an application of that theoretical conceptual knowledge of the core being applied in an unplanned situation. If students have had placement opportunities, then I think it very much helps them to be able to picture things and to be able to find some context. Whereas somebody who's been involved in the setting can quickly picture picture that a student may not. So placement always helps to bring that alive. Does the employer have anything to do with, with that? No, 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 they don't. It's an employer validated and it's set within an employer route, if you like. What the employer will be very much involved in is looking at those early years educator competence criteria. And that's something that students will do over time on the programme. And indeed, within the school environment, looking at the skills in the second year, especially through three structured observations. Early year students also will carry out three structured observations in that second year in a sort of uh, determined window. And that's really significant to the employer because the employer needs to know when, when are these happening? You know, the, the student is going to be actually be graded. There's going to be, they're going to be scored. There's numerical value um, that's put against those competencies in that second year. So that's really important to be able, as an employer, you really are nurturing and shaping the future of, of education and childcare students. And so your input is vital. And without that, and quite rightly so, without that collaboration, the students are not going to be as prepared for work. And that's a fact, isn't it, anyway? So making sure as em- as employers that you talk to the providers, the schools, the colleges and the training providers that are working with these students to ask those kind of questions, you know, how does assignment two, which is what it actually is, how does assignment two work? what will you require of me? What can I do to best support that student? And the, and all of the things that really prepare that student and help them the most is all the things that Ben's talked about um, in, in the podcast today. Listening to the provider, making time for the student. We all know that you reap you're the rewards of solid investment by, and that's time, that's effort, that's attention but that pays off. So if we want a a workforce that's going to be able to do the best it possibly can for the babies, the children and the young people with whom they work, it's worth that investment. But we all need to work together to do that. NCFE can't do that on their own. Um, It needs to be a full collaboration. Um, And as the advert goes, it's worth it. That was so inspirational. That was lovely. That has been really, really helpful for me. I think you've all answered all the questions that I had and hopefully 
everything that the settings who are gearing up for either having a T-level student come and come and do a placement with them or the settings that are currently looking for new staff and may may have the the next T-level students as their employees. I hope they've got the information that they needed. I want to thank Janet, Stacey, Angie and Ben for coming and contributing all of their expertise and knowledge and, and sharing with me and, and with the settings and hopefully, uh, yeah, with the present T-level students and the T-level students of the future. Thanks for listening to Podcash. If you enjoyed it, please follow or subscribe on your podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can also watch many of these conversations by heading over to cashalumni.org.uk and going to the CPD and Best Practice section of the site. That's cashalumni.org.uk. 